Our scripture text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 9, verses 9, 35 through 10, 8. Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. He called the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to throw them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus sent out the twelve and commanded them, do not go among the Gentiles or into a Samaritan city. Go instead to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. And as you go, make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and throw out demons. You have received without pay, therefore give without demanding payment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, In between my junior and senior years of college, I had the opportunity to be a youth intern at Weezer Church of the Nazarene. Um, This isn't really related to the sermon per se, but Weezer Weezer is not a big city. Um, Some of you have been there. Uh, Some of you have passed through it. Some of you have sneezed and missed it. Um, It's a small little town in in just kind of north and east of Nampa, Boise, right in kind of the, uh, the line between Oregon and Idaho there. And, and I had the opportunity, I had the, the great joy of serving as a, as a youth intern there for a summer. And um, was a great time for me realizing that I'm not really good at being a youth minister. Um, but a wonderful time of ministry where I got to, to work with, with a pastor who was great and who I loved and, and got the opportunity to be in the church, see what it felt like to work in the church. It was a wonderful time. Now, there was a particular week, I remember, that, um, that the senior pastor, Tom, went on vacation. And, and as often happens in small churches, right, when, when the senior pastor goes on vacation, there's not really anyone else around the office, not with someone a big staff. There was the senior pastor, a part-time secretary, and the youth intern. That was the staff for the summer. Uh, so when Tom went on vacation, it was kind of a home alone moment for me, right? Because Tom's on vacation. I, I don't really know what it's like to be a, a senior pastor or a, a youth pastor for that matter, let alone a senior pastor. I don't know what it's like to run a church or run a church office. It's debatable whether I do now, but even so then I didn't at all. And, and he left. And, and so I was alone. I was just trying to figure out, you know, what, what, is, what do pastors do all day? It was early in my pastoral career. Like there's only so much time I can spend, you know, doing a sermon prep. Um, I can spend a lot of time in sermon prep, but 40 hours is pushing it. And so I was kind of, even though it was the home alone situation, it was me alone, the young guy, the, the green kid, alone in the church office. And, and I was sitting in the office one day, and I got a phone call, right? Um, 
it was small church, small town. The phone didn't ring a whole lot. And especially when the senior pastor's out of town and the church knows it, for me, the, the phone didn't ring at all. People weren't like calling me up asking for, you know, I don't know, dates on the, con- the Council of Constantinople, for instance, right? Those are the things that I get excited about, but people weren't calling me for, you know, theological advice. They were, Tom's out of town and the new kid doesn't know anything. True, accurate. But anyway, that particular day, the phone rang. I was excited because I got to field my first phone call, right? And so I, I pick up the phone and, um, and it's somebody who is asking for help, right? Um, you answer the phones long enough at a church, um, you get a, a call for help, right? Um, call for, you know, rental assistance or car repair, any, anything, all sorts of things. But this particular one was, it was not a huge ask. Uh, the person identified themselves a new mother, and she said, you know, I'm a new mother. We don't have a whole lot of money, no paycheck. We don't have money to buy formula and diapers. This is a very, very common problem in our world. Uh, new parents, um, oftentimes, I think, from what I remember, it was she was a single mother, right? I don't have any money to care for my child, right? Any person in that case is moved with compassion. But, but I'm sitting there going, I don't have any resources for that, right? So... Small church, limited budget, new guy. So I don't know anything. I don't know if there's a compassionate ministry fund. And if there is, I certainly don't have access to the checkbook. Uh, And so I'm sitting there just kind of thinking in my head, like moved with compassion, brokenness for this new mother who can't take, can't even get formula for her child. And I I don't have resources for her, right? Right. Tom didn't leave me a list, right? You can call these. We didn't have Love, Inc. We didn't have all sorts of, we didn't have fish. We didn't have anything. There was nothing I knew to call. I'm just sitting there stumped and speechless because I don't know. I'm new. I don't know what's around. I barely know the people of the church or in the church. So I don't even know who to call. So I'm going like crossing off names in my mind going, who can help this person? Like who's around who, who can deal with this person? Who's around who can buy formula and diapers for this woman? Who, who can deliver them to him? And, and I'm just going through my mind and I just, I don't know. And I remember sitting there and, and telling her, I, I, don't have the, I don't have those things right now. Like there's no clothes closet. There's no closet of these things in the church. I don't know how to help you. In desperation, I kind of took down her number and her information and said, I'll see what I can do. And, and so I went through and, and I remember praying, God, how do I help? Who around is going to help? I remember praying, God, God, somebody help this person. Now, some of you may know where this is going, but I'm not going to get you there yet. Our story begins today with Jesus doing what Jesus does. Jesus, his ministry is really characterized by just a few things. I mentioned this last week, right? He taught about the kingdom of God he walked a lot, he healed the sick, and he ate with people. Like that, that was like, if you were to nutshell Jesus' ministry, that's it. He, he went around and he just, he ate with people, spent time with people, healed people, and proclaimed the nearness of the kingdom of God. That's what he did. And so he's doing that. We, we see him doing that. We see him, he, we see him going to the crowds and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. We, we see him teaching. We see him healing, right? We, we see him doing all these things. And, and, and what's important to note when we hear about the ministry of Jesus, 
right? Oftentimes the, the, the gospel writers will put these things together. Like he'll proclaim the nearness of the kingdom. And then what we see is Jesus doing all of these things, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, the cleansing lepers, all that sort of thing. So it's important to know that those two things are intimately connected with one another. Right, so Jesus proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom is not disconnected from his healing ministry. Jesus proclaims the nearness of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is coming near, the kingdom of God is here. And then what Jesus goes out and does is he begins to show people that A, he has the authority and power to proclaim the kingdom of God being near, but also the things that Jesus does, the way Jesus eats with people, the way Jesus heals people, feeding the hungry, cleansing lepers, those are all things that to people who are witnessing this, those are all signs, markers of God's kingdom. Right? So, so we can kind of conceptualize kingdom, at least me in my mind, when I think of kingdom, I think of two things. One is Lord of the Rings. That's not a universal reference. The second one is like, like the kingdom of Britain. Right? I, I tend to think of, of kingdoms in terms of some of the colonial powers that, that used to exist and that to some extent till do. Right? I think of like nation states with walls and castles and things like that. That's what I think of as kingdom. The, the biblical understanding of the kingdom of God is less about like this, this city, this walled city, this castle, and more about kind of the world made right and new. Right, so that God has created a world and the kingdom of God, the reign of God in the world is basically this idea and this concept of what the world looks like when God is in charge or when people submit to the rule of God. It's wholeness, right? So if, if the kingdoms of the world, like there is death, there is destruction, there is sickness, there is hunger, all those sorts of things, the kingdom of God is shown and exemplified by Broken things made whole. The world made right, sin forgiven, right? All that happening. And this all happens in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus goes about doing all these things, he's showing signs of the kingdom of God near, right? What what does he say to John's disciples when they ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? He doesn't say, yes, I'm the one who is to come. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The kingdom of God is proclaimed, right? The blind receive sight, those in bondage are liberated, the deaf hear, the blind see, right? Essentially, he goes, show him what you see, and he'll know that that means the kingdom of God is in his midst, right? It's here. It's in me. I am the one who is to come, right? The answer that Jesus gives John's disciples is yes, but he does so by pointing to these things. So the markers of what Jesus does in his sort of ministry of healing is just something that basically gives credence to the things he is saying. The kingdom of God is near. See, watch me do it. Okay? That was a long explanation, but it's a very important distinction to make when we look at. If you've ever read the Gospel of John, you notice that it's not called miracles. They're called signs. And signs do what? They point to something else. So if we read and we hear that Jesus heals the sick... One way we ought to read that is a sign pointing that the kingdom of God is here. Right? It's a sign pointing to the the kingdom of God being in their midst or being active in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that was a little excursus, but it's an important one for us to keep in mind anytime we read the Gospels. Anytime we have a conversation about the kingdom, this is what we're talking about. 
So there's Jesus and he's preaching, teaching about the kingdom of God and he is enacting in his work, the kingdom of God. And as you might expect, this gets noticed, right? People notice what, what Jesus is doing. I mean, if someone comes in, rolls into town, right? And is healing the sick and feeding the hungry and doing all these things that we hear Jesus is doing, it, we would notice, right? If the cure rate at St. John's was 100%, we would take notice, right? Many of you have been in the community long enough to know that that even more so. <laughs> I've heard enough opinions. I don't know if they're true or not, but right? If the cure rate, if, if everyone who went in there came out cured, absolutely whole, would we notice go in with cancer and come out with nothing, we'd notice, right? And this is what's going on. It would, it, people would start flocking there. This would be the busiest hospital in the country if that were the case. Cowlitz County would grow because people would want to move in to be near the hospital. Right? This is what's happening in Jesus' ministry. They're, they're hearing about these things, these amazing things, these signs of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at work in this person and people are coming and they're coming in droves, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to be healed by Jesus. And so we find ourselves with Jesus on this particular day as he is looking out on these crowds who have come to observe him, to hear what he has to say, and to be recipients of his grace and mercy of the kingdom of God. And we're told that as Jesus looks out on the crowds, he makes an observation. He says they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at them and says, there's no one to lead them. Often in the scriptures, those who have been appointed to lead the people of Israel are called shepherds. And in Ezekiel in particular, but also in in Isaiah, um, the prophets actually get after the people who are the shepherds of Israel because they have not taken care of the sheep. In fact, in Ezekiel, it even says, like, God will come. And he said, I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will take that role on. And so Jesus looks out and he sees out and he sees these people who are supposed to have leaders, who are supposed to have people at the very least pointing them towards fidelity and faithfulness to God's kingdom, to be caring for them, to be giving them the good news. And what it says is they seem harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I know that we talk about sheep occasionally and I've been told that sheep aren't as stupid as I, give the, as I say they are and maybe they're not. However, sheep without a shepherd can be chaos. I mean, let me put it this way. A kindergarten class without a teacher. That might be a better way, right? Wonderful kids, but crazy. Right? It's a little chaotic. And so Jesus looks out and he has compassion on them. His heart is broken for them. Because they're coming to him because they are desperate to taste the kingdom of God. And they're not getting it. And so they have these large groups of people coming to him, desperate for the kingdom of God. And he looks out and he sees the need. His heart is broken for them. And Jesus himself understands and looks at them and goes, I cannot do it by myself. 
Think about that for a moment. If a job is too big for Jesus, it's a big job. Right? And so at that moment, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough workers. Essentially, he says, I can't do it by myself. And then he says this, now go and pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. Right? There is help wanted. There's jobs aplenty. Ask God to fill those positions. He tells them to pray. Pray that that God would send people to meet these needs. Pray that God would would send the resources necessary that that this this group of people, this harvest, these people who are desperate for a taste of the kingdom would, would be able to taste it in the workers that God sends into the harvest field. As I was sitting in my office in Weezer, Idaho on that day, praying to God that God would send someone to help this woman, I had a thought. And I don't think it was my thought. I mean, it could have been my thought, but I think it was God saying, you're praying for someone to help this woman. What about you? I was so desperate to find someone to help that it never occurred to me that I might be the help. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. I felt a little foolish in that moment. Like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't rich, right? I was, a, I was a college student on an intern salary. But I had room and board. I had some money in my bank account. I was getting a paycheck that week. And so what did I do? I went down to Paul's grocery store in Weezer, Idaho, and I got all the stuff I got the diapers that were needed, I bought some formula. I hopped into my trusty Subaru GL. No air conditioning, no power steering, no radio. I don't know, I just wanted to point out that I had a Subaru GL. <laughs> it was a glorified golf cart. Okay. I missed that car deeply. 19, oh man. Okay, sorry. So I got in my car and I headed out and I, I took them to the lady. And, and it was, it, it's a shame to me sometimes that it was an epiphany to me that I could help. That, that, that it wasn't about this person calling the church and me finding church help for them. <laughs> it was that God had somehow orchestrated that I was there and I could help. And I'm just a little dense. And so it took me a little, little time for God to say, you're the help. I didn't want her to call the church, or I did want her to call the church, but you are a part of the church. And you don't have to organizationally help, you can help yourself. I mean, for me, it wasn't a little money, but it was money I had. It's probably money I would have wasted on Legos anyway, right? I was the very help I was praying for. I was praying that God would provide someone and said, God said, yeah, I provided you. Jesus asked the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out harvest workers. I love that in Matthew, as he describes it, as he retells the story, this story is told in Luke as well, but in Matthew, it's really, for me, it's intensely interesting that, that Jesus tells the disciples to pray that prayer. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the harvest field. And the very next thing Matthew writes about is the names of the disciples. 
Did you catch that? Like we have this story, pray that the Lord of the harvest, and then it ends, and then all of a sudden Matthew says, and these were the name of the apostles. It's interesting also that Matthew uses the word apostle. Generally speaking, in the scriptures, apostle isn't used till after the resurrection. Apostle means sent. Apostolos are sent ones. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but that's what it means. And generally speaking, we don't refer to the, the 12 or the, the, the disciples or the apostles as apostles until Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. That's generally when that switch is made in Acts. But here, probably the only time, I, I think I remember my research correctly. This is the only time in Matthew that the word apostle is used is right here to refer to these folks. Because this is the point where Matthew identifies the disciples, the learners of Jesus, are also the ones whom Jesus is sending. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. And these are the sent ones. Interesting, isn't it? And so Matthew names the disciples and a weirder group of people you could not put together. I mean, they're only separated by one name, but you have a tax collector and a zealot. Zealots would not like tax collectors, and probably vice versa. And then you have fishermen, who are their own lot, right? Their own brand of crazy. Sorry, that was Mark, sorry. I love you, Mark. Love you, Ron. Um, (laughs) And you have this motley crew that's put together, and Jesus says, I give you authority. Jesus is the one who spoke with authority, who had authority, who acted with authority of the kingdom. And Jesus turns to his apostles and says, I give you authority. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Notice how that list is exactly the list that we talk about with Jesus. He gathers around, he says, teach that the kingdom of God is near. There's one. Gathers around and says, Heal the sick. Gathers around and says, point people to the kingdom of God. Point people to Jesus, in short. You might say that as the disciples pray for workers in the harvest field, God just holds up a mirror and says, you're the answer to that prayer. At the very least, Matthew relays that that's the case. Pray that the Lord would send workers in his field. Here's the ones who are sent. To go do the work of Jesus, to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of God. Notice that they are called to do the same things, the same words and the same actions. He gives them that authority to do those things. Their ministry mirrors, at least as it's related here, almost exactly the ministry of Jesus. They are to proclaim the kingdom and then they're going called to do works that demonstrate that the kingdom of God is indeed near. They are to do his work. They are the answer to their very own prayers. Fascinating text. I mean, I I like all texts. You know I like the scriptures, but this one, it's just amazing to me. Because we are the ones who take up the mantles of the disciples. 
I think the call that Jesus gives his disciples is the same call that he gives us, that we too are not simply learners of Jesus, disciple, but also sent ones, apostles. We talked about it recently, right? In your going, as you go, go and preach the coming kingdom of God. We too are sent ones. And we are called to do things in our world that are tastes of the kingdom of God. Works of the kingdom of God so that people might know that the kingdom of God is near. I'm not going to claim that this is my original illustration. This comes from, by the way, our newly elected general superintendent, Scott Daniels. But he talks about um, the church being like the the pink spoon of Baskin-Robbins, right? We are the pink spoon of the kingdom of God. You've all been to Baskin-Robbins, right? Or at least know about the pink spoon, right? You go in there and you say, I'd like to taste that. And they give you a little taste. You say, "Mm, that's good Rocky Road. Not that anyone would ever say that's good Rocky Road, but you know what I'm saying. I don't like Rocky Road. Um, <laughs> but it's a taste, right? And, and, and so Scott talks about um, us, the church, being the pink spoons, the taste of the kingdom of God. We, we're not its in fullness, right? We're not the kingdom of God. The, the church is not the kingdom of God in its fullness. Um, we don't save people, right? But we are to be tastes of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the kingdom of God. When people encounter us in the things that we do, in the words that we say, in the activities that we engage in, they are to taste the kingdom of God. We are to be tastes, and forgive the crude analogy and illustration, we are to be tastes of Jesus. We're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. We don't save But the hope, and I believe the call that we have been given, as we see the call to the apostles, right, is go out and do the things so that people taste this in your work and in your words. So that as we go around in our world, people get a flavor of Jesus. My hope is that when I answered that phone call and had the somewhat slow reaction, but I think the right one eventually, that I was the answer to the prayer that I was praying. That I was the one who was to go. I hope that to that person, I was just a taste of the kingdom of God. I didn't sit with her. I didn't witness to her, at least as we might expect or think about that traditionally speaking. But I hope that the interaction with myself and with Reeser Church of the Nazarene was a taste of what Jesus is like. And I think that is what we as the church are called to be. We're given authority. We're given power. We're given the spirit of God. Not to use it for our own ends, not to make money, any of that stuff, but to give a taste of what the kingdom of God might look like as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we respond to needs in our communities, as we, as we see people not for, for the exterior, but for the created in person in the image of God that they are, as we heal the sick, as we pray for people, we are to be tastes 
just a little taste of Jesus. Because if this little taste is good, imagine how the whole thing will be. I'm going to mention that I had you guys pray last week for, for the board as we get, got together yesterday to do strategic planning for the church. Strategic planning is not a sexy name, sorry. But I had you guys pray for us because we desperately need and desperately want to be, as a church, a taste of God's kingdom. And as I was thinking about it just this morning, this is a new addition to the sermon, just this morning I was thinking about it and thought, when we've outlined what is our vision of the church, who we think God is calling us to be, I I looked at these things and I said, these are all things that I truly believe are tastes glimpses, not its fullness, but glimpses of God's kingdom at work in our world. God's kingdom is a place where where the people participate in worship of Almighty God. Where everyone is invited to join in the unending hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Read the first few chapters of Revelation and you will see some heavenly worship. Every name, every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue participating in worship of the Lamb, the crucified and risen one. That gave me goosebumps, by the way. A glimpse of the kingdom as we gather together in this place and worship the crucified and risen one. As we engage in intentional fellowship, reconciliation, being together as the people of God, fellowshipping with one another, people who don't look alike, act alike, think alike, people from all over the map, socioeconomically, people from all over the map. We gather together, an unlikely people drawn together and brought together by the work in the person of Jesus Christ. as we practice hospitality outside of this particular place, as we, as we look at it and see what does it mean to welcome the stranger? It's a glimpse of the kingdom where we don't react to stranger with fear, but with open arms and welcome. The kingdom of God is a generous place. So great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. It's a glimpse of the kingdom as we live these things together. As we make disciples, not of me, not of Sheldon, not of anyone else, but of Christ. We get glimpses of the kingdom. It is our hope, my hope as a pastor, our hope as this board and the staff, that this place will be just a tiny taste, a little, little pink spoon of the kingdom of God. so that when people taste and touch and see, they might say, God is good. And so in that vein, Jesus invites us to join him in the harvest fields, doing the work he does. Now our text says that that he gave them power and authority to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead. (laughs) Now I think those things happen in those ways. Still today. The Spirit of God has empowered people and the church to do things like that. But but if we limit it to that, I think we are limiting 
or maybe making excuses why we can't be apart. I've never raised anyone from the dead. I don't know about you. I have not. But that doesn't mean that I am not called and given authority to be an agent of God's kingdom in this world. It might be instances like bringing diapers to a family in need. It might be an instance of being an agent of reconciliation, working for justice in our world, feeding the hungry, maybe not healing the sick, but certainly caring for them. Compassion, forgiveness, love, hope, joy. All these things are glimpses, are flavors, are tastes of God's kingdom. That point not to the pink spoon, but to the giver of all good things, who is God and revealed in Christ. We are called to be agents of the kingdom. And so I want us to end with a question today. As the worship team comes back and sings this last song, I'd like us to ask ourselves, what does it look like? What would it mean for you in your going? Who you are, who God has called you to be, the gifts and the talents of God, what would it be like for you this week to be a taste of God's kingdom for somebody? How might that look for you? It's different for all of us. Right? There are some ways in which we embody that the same way. Right? We love. That's a flavor of God's kingdom. But the way in which that happens and works out in our lives is as numerous as the stars in the sky. Right? But not only can we be agents of, king, of God's kingdom, God has empowered us to do so. God has sent us into the world that we might be glimpses, flavors of, a taste of God's kingdom so that people might know that the kingdom of God is near, the rule of God is near, and it is good. What might it be? I'm going to give a little plug for Tuesday night because this is kind of the stuff we're going to be talking about. So Tuesday night, we're going to talk about what, what are some ways in which we ingrain habits in our lives that give people a taste, a pink spoon of God's kingdom. How might we do that? Now, you don't have to come to Tuesday night to figure that out, although I, I would like if you would. But as we sing the last song, let us, let's pray. Let's ask God, God, how have you empowered me? as a part of this church community, and more importantly, as a part of the church universal, to be a glimpse, a flavor, a pink spoon.